this is Managing E-Learning with Dr. John Alexson and Matt Herpold. Welcome to Managing E-Learning. I am very excited to introduce our guest today, Hope Liu, Senior Director of Organizational Learning with the Alliance Coa Legacy. Hope, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? We're doing great. And I just want to say Hope's one of my favorite uh, online learning experts. She's also a PhD in instructional technology and instructional designs. She really brings both the uh, leadership of online learning initiatives to the table, but with this incredible instructional design foundation. So you get best of both worlds. It's, it is great to have you on, Hope. Thanks for joining us. For your organization, which I believe was called the Alliance for Strong Families, is that correct? Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. And you are now merging with a credentialing association. Can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, credentialing, you know, really sort of fits into learning. Kind of tell us why this merger makes sense and also how excited you are in terms of how it will promote what you want to do strategically with your online learning program. Yeah, so last year we announced that the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities was merging with the cancel. Council on Accreditation, and thus we are currently known as Alliance COA. If you are familiar with either of these national organizations, you will be able to see the complementary strengths that we bring. The Alliance was really focused on systems change and being really aware of all the different types of factors that you have to influence and direct in order to see systemic change to promote the health and equity of children, families, and communities. And then the Council on Accreditation is really focused on creating within organizations best-in-class community-based and other types of organizations. And their accreditation process is research-based and very rigorous but also done in a very supportive way. So when you take these two organizations' strengths and marry them together, I think what we really have is a extremely dynamic, nimble, and rigorous new organization that is set to lead and support dramatic change within the social sector. So just to describe your members, these are community-based organizations. Can you give me just a few examples of, of who they are and what they do? Yes. Yeah, so I should say that like, we're not going to have members anymore. We're, we're, we're going to be merging into a larger network. So some of our organizations that are currently affiliated with us are Villa of Hope in New York, a Seneca, Seneca in California. And what does Seneca do? Um, they are a, well, interestingly, COA accredits for-profits as well and international organizations. So, so are, are these are these organizations that are working within like adopt, adoption agencies or, um, you know? Yeah, we span, our organizations span the whole gamut of the social services sector. So they work in the most critical need situations such as behavioral health, drug addiction, mental health, adoption, foster care, family supports, community supports, you know, developing community initiatives, socioeconomic mobility. Um, they just, they're 
they're really all committed to across the entire social sector span. The groups that are affiliated with you are doing some very important work. And well, the, critical to the fabric of society. Right. And and the, the accrediting organization really makes sure that they're operating by, you know, best practice standards. So really is a good merger between the two of you. And how do you, how do you feel this is going to affect uh, what you want to do in the online learning space? Yeah, I think one thing that's important to know is that, you know, within our new organization, you do not have to be accredited in order to engage with us. But we hope that you will see the value of accreditation, um, or at least want to learn more about it. And in terms of online learning or any sort of learning initiative, I think this just gives us a wider breadth and depth to really dig into organizational excellence, best practice, and back it with some really strong research, while also infusing all of our learning with a strong focus on equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as, you know, retaining that systems approach. Change within your organization doesn't happen due to a single individual. Your organization is a system as well. And we kind of subscribe to this idea that, you know, as you are organized within, your influence is reflected without, you know, outside of your organization. So it's a both and as your organization evolves, so will your impact evolve. Sounds like a natural match. That's very exciting. Let's talk a bit about learning platforms. So Hope, why such an in-depth RFP? It's my favorite question, Matt. Um, (laughs) I will say that I think that RFP has become somewhat revered. Um, We get asked from people, you know, how did you select your LMS? And I'll show them the RFP and their eyes will get really big and ask if they can use that. The reason why we had such an in-depth RFP is because at that time, which was a couple years ago now, you know, the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities was poised to make a very significant enterprise level investment in an online learning strategy. And we were able to articulate some components of that strategy early on before we started looking for technology. And because we were able to articulate the vision of where we wanted the platform to support us from a business perspective and from an impact perspective, you know, we were able to design backwards from those goals. And and that's kind of what led us to such an in-depth RFP. I think one of the things that you have now, though, with your RFP and our response is you've got a great document, a large one at that, to say, hey, here's what we did to to your new partner. Yes, they have already looked at the RFP um, and, and the responses, I believe. But really, you know, if I could say there was one thing that we did right, it was to really be clear about where we wanted to take learning, not not just in terms of we want to deliver courses, but really in terms of an overall audience experience. What did we want that audience to experience with us when they came across us online, how would we make it from their perspective, easy to use, seamless, easy to understand what we're doing and what they could have access to? One of your challenges was that you had a social community platform and you felt that you could replace that with your learning management system platform. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about that and whether you feel you've done that? Sure. So 
When I first got to the Alliance, um, we had what I call kind of the satellite technology model, where we had lots of different platforms and technology pieces, but they weren't really integrated into a singular user experience, which kind of makes it confusing, right? You have one password for doing this activity, another password for joining a webinar, another password for accessing our online library and our online community. So the one of the, you know, when we think about online learning, a lot of times folks come at it from first courses, then social learning and networking. We kind of started off with social learning and networking, and then we're going to kind of back into this idea of creating online courses because because that's just where we started, which was fine. However, the platform that we were on for social networking and community building would not support the build of online courses. You know, it would not support registration. It would not support e-commerce. It wouldn't integrate with a webinar tool, didn't track any activities. So, you know, we knew we had to get a new LMS to support our online course development and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I also knew that more and, you know, when you look at the evolution of learning platforms, you know, they kind of started off in IT and then they kind of moved over to the learning world. And once they hit the learning world and people started influencing those, we saw the rise of social learning. And so I knew that we could support online communities through an LMS. We just had to find the right one. Moving from a a silo, I guess, engagement platform, are there any of those features that you miss or your users miss? No, because one of the things that we did was we first looked at all the features that existed in our in our community building platform, and then we put those in that giant RFP. Um, and so while they weren't 100% one-to-one, you know, we were definitely looking for mimics and, you know, similarity of functions. So, you know, the ability to have discussion boards and have notifications and to have kind of summaries and to be able to post files and videos and those sorts of things, you know, those all kind of come out of the box now in your most robust LMSs. And so I wasn't wasn't too concerned. You know, we did do some beta testing with users around before we released the LMS and their feedback was very positive. Like this is easy to use. I just interact similarly. So it, it wasn't too big of a shift. We actually heard no complaints from folks about how to shift from platform to platform. So those, uh, those people that were engaged before in, you know, what, you know, these, these community platforms are essentially glorified listservs. And that those people that were engaged in that, you, they haven't complained that they missed something. No, in fact, some folks actually appreciate that we did consolidate into basically for our audience, single sign-on. So through the integration, they yeah. were able to access everything we offered. Yeah, could you explain that again, what you mean by single sign-on? Yeah, so we have an enterprise membership database and that membership database historically integrated with our former community platform. And we did not want to disrupt the user experience by forcing them to change passwords. So we integrated the LMS into the enterprise user database that would allow them to retain their same username and password 
But now instead of in that satellite technology world, having to jump around from platform to platform, they entered into the learning community, they got their networking, they got their webinars, they got their learning all in one place. So one of the things you've done a excellent job with this, how you organize your content and how you use the catalog. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and give us any success stories? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that we you, that we needed was an online catalog that was findable by folks outside of our normal footprint. And so we were excited to know that the external facing catalog was searchable using Google results, right? So you go into Google, you type it, equity, diversity, and inclusion leadership training, and our catalog stuff will pop up. We had tremendous success with that in 2020 due to the pandemic. So if there is a plus side of the pandemic, it was that it really tested our system's capacity for scale very quickly. Um, I was really proud of the Alliance for pivoting its content in the spring of 2020 to really deliver quality, helpful, and timely resources not just to our existing network, but even internationally. We had folks from, I think, 11 countries finding our stuff and logging in to attend our webinars and downloading our resources, which was incredible. The growth of users in our LMS just skyrocketed to way beyond what our 2020 user expectations were. We set a stretch goal of 750 active users and we ended up with 5,300 users. So a lot of that was due to the fact that people found our our COVID-related resources of which they were super high quality and accessed them and used them even if they had never heard of us before. Within the catalog, can you explain to us some of the more popular course offerings, maybe outside of the COVID-specific courses? We are seeing quite an uptick in our equity, diversity, and inclusion offerings. We have very, very strong leadership in those areas that we've been developing for years. So we know that it's a, you know, a quote, hot topic right now, but we've been doing it and practicing it for quite a long time. Um, And the way that we do it is very authentic and transformative if you choose to engage with us on that. So those have been very, very successful. Now, are you charging for those courses? Like what's your your business model and your pricing model? I mean, if there ever were organizations that needed to do that type of training, are the community-based organizations? I mean, it's it's a big need and I'm, I'm assuming that it was something that your credentialing organization evaluated as well. Yeah, there's definitely woven into standards, intentional EDI concepts and principles. And I think that is one of our greatest areas of excitement is kind of marrying our expertise in EDI and really intentionally elevating them within the standards um, and accreditation process, but we're still pretty early days yet. Right. And it's it's a topic, it's a content area that you've had years of experience with, uh, and it's a topic area that you should own online. I mean, it, you should be known for it. Yes. And I think, uh, I think we are 
within our within our current network, we are very well known for it. So we're looking to expand that reputation with the merger. So you, you know, to to build out your catalog, you also went into some partnerships. You you took on that uh, a series of courses, an entire curriculum uh, for adoption adoption agencies. Is that correct? Yes. One of the um, one of the things that we identified early on in our online learning strategy was this idea of you know, there's so many folks out there that are engaging now in doing online learning for good or for ill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that's difficult for anyone who's searching for online learning is trying to understand what is what is good learning, what will be effective for my for my organization. And so one of the things that we did strategically pre-RFP was to say, we want to offer the best in class and become like a clearing house for the best in class social services, human services sector. And we also knew that we alone could not provide the depth and breadth and wealth of online learning that our network would need. So we created Um, what was called the Alliance Learning Exchange, which is a partnership where folks that have online learning can put their learning into our LMS and we will help promote it to our network. And there are some requirements and quality things that we're looking for, but we did partner with the National Training Institute to provide that very robust curriculum. Um, And we are also partnering with... um, some other organizations to leverage that capability as well. Looking back and comparing what you have in the catalog now, is there anything you wish you had now or are looking to add on in the future to grow? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, as we become the new organization, we're going to be completely aligned to our mission, vision, values, which will be revealed in October, by the way. You know, so I think as we look at what those, mission, vision, values are what we feel we are called to do, we'll be probably tightening our focus Mm -hmm. and reevaluating our content to make sure that what we are looking for in terms of behavior changes, new skills, knowledge, and attitudes is reflective of where new org feels the sector needs to go. Um, There will definitely be increased emphasis on EDI, not just as a separate kind of thing, but really as a foundational lens for organizations to examine every aspect of their operations through. So I'm expecting to see, you know, this idea of real synthesis between, oh, we want to have a we want to have a course maybe that focuses on best practices and data usage, but it's also going to be infused with an equity, diversity, and inclusion lens to say, hey, you know, are your practices for gathering data reflective of an EDI lens? So I'm excited about those sorts of collaborations internally between experts to create that learning. So I would expect to see some growth in that catalog. I mean, kind of tongue in cheek, I would say, I really hope I don't have to create a whole bunch of COVID resources in 2021 or 2022. I, I, I hope we don't have to do that, but we will be poised and ready should another wave of pandemic come. For the sake of the listeners, could you define EDI for everyone? 
Sure, EDI is equity, diversity, and inclusion. Some folks refer to it as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we use EDI. So I see a potential collaboration with your credentialing partner where they do their evaluation and then they maybe recommend some online learning. Oh yeah, I think we'll definitely be looking to figure out what is the best way to support folks that are going through the accreditation process. How do we create those collaborations and bridges so that if folks are wanting to, you know, folks want to learn more about the accreditation process in depth, what can we provide them? And then also, you know, as they're looking to really authentically develop their organizations, what resources can we provide to them as well? So you've done an awesome job with your catalog. Uh, It's one, it's a really a best practice. And so moving on, there's another business model, I think that you're working on perfecting, and that's the use of subportals. You've used uh, subportals, or some people call them microsites for your, your conferences. You have also offered it to your um, affiliates. Can you talk a little bit about that as a, a business model? Sure. So I'll share my, my popular skyscraper analogy so that folks understand what we're talking about. So this was always part of our strategy as well. This idea that investing in an online learning infrastructure and online learning expertise I mean, that's a, that's a significant investment. And for a lot of our organizations in particular, that investment is out of reach. It's, it's, it's not just the out-of-pocket cost, but it's also the internal resources that are required to support, maintain, and develop quality um, online learning. So it was always part of our vision to be able to say to our organizations, hey, we have solutions for you. you know, we have ways that you can um, develop additional revenue streams, and we can help you do that. And so when we put together our giant RFP, that was part of it, you know, that that was very intentionally included. And so yes, we have used them for our um, events and for our organizations. And the way I always like to describe it to people is, you know, the Alliance owns a giant skyscraper, and that's our learning community, our LMS platform. But then we rent out floors to different organizations so that they can you know, have a space to work in and they can decorate that floor however they want with whichever courses or experiences they want to provide. And they can control who gets to come in and out of their floor. But we are kind of like the big landlord and we are responsible for maintaining the infrastructure necessary to support the floor with you all to help us. So that's kind of how we've been using it with some of our organizations. And You don't have to be a member, you know, or you don't have to subscribe to anything that we offer in order to gain the use of that sub portal. So we are excited that we have some customers that are using it in very interesting ways. Some are using it kind of more of like a content knowledge repository with a discussion board community aspect. Some are really looking at it to leverage their already existing online content, but now they're going to have a way to manage it better. So we're very pleased about the different levels of usage and engagement that our organizations are finding in it. Great. So you've got some of your affiliates are using using it because you have a 
a lot of content they want. Um, others maybe like the rigor of tracking how learners are doing within the system itself. And of course, they get uh, they get to co-brand co-brand the site, which is which is great. One of my favorite use cases for your use of subportals or microsites is the virtual event. Quick plug, this fall registration opens up in August, correct? It's Spark 21? At the latest. At the latest, okay. So keep an eye out for that if you'd like to join. But one of my favorite use cases, so a large virtual experience through the system that you provide to all of your attendees. Could you share a little bit about the process of putting that together and the success you guys had last year? Yeah, so last year we, like so many other organizations, were unable to have our in-person event. It just wasn't permissible. And so the question was, do we... Do we not have anything for our members in terms of a large national gathering? Or do we quickly pivot to use a virtual platform, put something together? And so last year, when we were the Alliance, we did put together a very large multi-week virtual experience, but we decided to use our existing technology platform rather than trying to engage with a new vendor, get used to a new platform. And part of that decision was because we intentionally did not want to recreate your typical three-day virtual conference. We felt that the three-day virtual conference at that point in time was being a little overdone And we wanted to do something a little different, something that would allow some breathing space. And so by using our existing platform, we were able to create a sub-portal such that anyone who registered for the event would be immediately dropped in our sub-portal. But if they were not at that point in time a member, they couldn't access any of the other things that they might find if they were a member. So mm-hmm. using subportals, we're, we're able to control the access even a little bit more, which was something that we wanted to do. And so we built the whole experience within the subportal. We had lots of on-demand content. We had lots of live content, we had recorded content, meeting spaces for folks to network. Um, and, it, and like I said, it, it lasted for multiple weeks. This year, we're going to do the same, the same idea with the sub portal. But now we're really focused on launching new orgs. So it's going to have a slightly different flavor, but mm-hmm. it's going to be very much in line with reflecting the mission, vision, values of new org, including the name reveal. So I invite everyone to join us for Spark 2021. One of, one of the very cool things, which I don't think Hope is hyping up, is the community aspect of this virtual experience. Um, You would go in and you would see different locations that you would go in for different content types or activities or pieces that people would participate in. Um, So please, next time you get a chance to talk to Hope, ask her about those as well. Yeah, it's pretty incredible what you've done uh, and all within your learning platform. And I hope you got a raise for that. The fact that you you put that in before the pandemic hit, you were ready to use it. So let's let's talk a little bit too about a component um, that you're using of ours that I think really does enable you to do more, and that's the use of uh, of our e-commerce, which is supported by big commerce. When I first got to the Alliance, again, we kind of had these different technologies and different user experiences. So. Maybe if you wanted to buy something, you had to go over here. But if you wanted to attend a webinar, it was over here. But then you had to register for it over there. So it wasn't 
a streamlined approach to a user experience. And I felt very strongly as a learner-centered person, all these folks are my learners. And so I need to remove as many barriers for them to get access to the things that they want. And so um, at that time, we decided to leverage the e-commerce capabilities, again, extensively documented in the RFP. Um, and we, know, we knew that we needed a flexible system to accommodate things like um, member pricing versus non-member pricing. And we needed those pricings to be automatic based upon their identity in our membership database. So we needed that integration so that when folks were going through the e-commerce process, they automatically saw the value of their dues at that time. We also knew we needed things like coupon codes, bulk discounts. You know, we needed a lot of flexibility because as we were developing and we still are developing our products, you know, we just weren't quite sure where pricing was going to take us. So we were looking for a very flexible system that, of course, could accommodate different methods of payment. And then once they paid for an online experience, they were they would be immediately enrolled into that experience. So again, you know, trying to leverage as much technological workflow as possible so that we didn't have to provide that manual intervention was really critical, as you all know, from our RFP. So uh, hope th I hope the new org respects your choice of uh, using this e-commerce system. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see. We will. Can, can you give an example of how a user, a group might use the bulk purchasing just in practice? Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll be glad to know that in Spark 2021, we're bringing back the organizational discount price. So if you have an organization and you want to register five people for Spark 2021, you will see a savings um, through the bulk discount. So um, basically, when you talk about what the Alliance was all about and what New Org is all about, you know, we are really talking about systems change, organizational change, and to encourage folks to embrace that lens, we wanted to invite as many people from an organization as possible because sending one person to a conference is wonderful. But if you want to create organizational change, sending a team is even better. And so we created what we call the um, bulk pricing, where for a singular price, a person can purchase five access passes to the event. And that was very, very successful last year almost 95% of our registrants actually use the organizational registration. You know, I think what we got out of the event was really this idea that the compelling content leads people to seek compelling content. So being able to follow up on our event last year with a really strong EDI workshop presence this year, I think has been a natural multiplier as a result of the organization event last year. I'm gonna promote my latest, which is doing virtual workshops with kind of a virtual event type course format. Are, are you doing that or considering that? Yeah, most of our work right now is actually in a, 
I would say, you know, blended type of model. And this makes a lot of sense for our audience. Our audience, um, the folks that we interact with, we're all human services folks. We like people. You know, being able to interact, the topics that we're dealing with when we talk about systems change and organizational change, a lot of this has a personal soft touch element that you can't program in yet. I mean, artificial intelligence is cool, but we're not quite there yet. So this idea that we go 100% online with everything, as you guys know, is never going to be something I'm going to espouse until artificial intelligence gets us there. Because we are dealing with humans and we are asking humans to look at things differently and look through, you know, look at their organization differently. And, and that is something that we need to discuss and talk about in person in safe spaces. That doesn't mean we don't provide our resources and other types of content on demand, we do, but we still at this moment in time are very much in a predominantly hybrid type model. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Hope. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I always enjoy catching up, so painless. Oh yeah, I always enjoy talking about it. You guys know that. <laughs> oh, appreciate your time hope thank you yeah Absolutely. thank you guys that was hope lou with the alliance coa legacy thank you everybody for listening we will see you next time <laughs>